At Eastern Bank, we believe that growing business should also grow the community. That's why we work to give all business owners what they need to take their dreams to the next level. Our dedication to small businesses and communities has inspired us to create the Equity Alliance for Business program and become the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running. We're proud to be here for all businesses, big and small. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. Got a business problem? There's a TED Talk for that. Stay updated on everything business on TED Business, a podcast hosted by Columbia Business School professor Modupe Akinola. Every week, she'll introduce you to leaders with unique insights on work, answering questions like, how do four-day work weeks work? Do will a machine ever take my job? Get some surprising answers on TED Business wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Say More from Boston Globe Opinion. I'm Shirley Leung. Once upon a time, the city of Boston was one big construction zone, awash in bulldozers, backhoes, and cranes, thanks to the Big Dig. A seven-mile-long highway being built underneath the skyscrapers of Boston and beneath the subway and beneath the railroad tracks and the crumbling old elevated highway that it will one day replace. The Big Dig tore up the city in the 90s and early 2000s with the aim of burying a highway, opening a second tunnel to the airport, and putting downtown Boston back together again. The project famously went billions of dollars over budget. A $14 billion fiasco. The unwelcome gift that keeps on giving. And that's raising the question, was the Big Dig really worth it? Did it really improve the city? It depends on who you ask. The Big Dig was either the best thing that ever happened to Boston or a cautionary tale about a massive boondoggle. I'm joined today by Ian Koss who set out to answer this question in his new podcast series called The Big Dig from GBH News and PRX in Boston. Ian, welcome to Say More. My pleasure. So I moved to Boston two decades ago uh, at the tail end of The Big Dig. Okay. I've only seen pictures of the infamous central artery. You know, those big elevated highways that divided downtown. Um, And I remember people describing the Big Dig as performing open heart surgery on the city. Yes. What were your personal memories of the Big Dig growing up in Boston? Yep. And and I think to complete the image, the the line that people would always use was open heart surgery while the patient uh, competes in a tennis tournament. Oh, I love that. I didn't hear that end, uh, that part of it. (laughs) Yes, yes. That, that That was part of the phrase, I think. So... I have only the vaguest memories of Boston before the Big Dig. Um, I grew up in Massachusetts, but not in Boston proper. Uh, It was a place I would visit. And when I did come here as a kid, the elevated artery was there. And my clearest memory of it was, I don't know, at some point as a young kid, we came to the North End for one of the, the feast days. So, you know, North End, sort of Boston, the heart of Boston's Italian, old Italian community. And every summer they have these feast days where they parade through the streets with, you know, the Virgin Mary and statues and there's bands and food. It's this whole thing. And I remember going to one of these feast days. And at that time, the North End of Boston really felt like a separate city you know, from downtown, City Hall, the financial district, because in between, 
the North End and the rest of downtown was this elevated highway. Um, and literally, like many of the streets that, you know, today you can just walk down, those streets just dead-ended at the central artery, and you had to find these passageways underneath it. And you were just a toddler when it started, right? Yeah, I mean, it's fun. I joke about this with my co-producer on the project because we're about the same age, and it, we are like the big dig generation, you know. And how old was, are you now? Uh, so I'm uh, I'm 35. So basically, I was you know just barely walking when the project began, and I graduated high school the year it finished. Wow! So it basically, you know. It is my childhood, it, <laughs> just going on in the background. And now you can relive it in a podcast. <laughs> um, exactly. So the big dig started under then-Governor Mike Dukakis. Why, why did Boston need a big dig? Really what's driving it is two different pressures. One is there is this crumbling, hulking, elevated highway through the heart of downtown called the Central Artery. It is one of the first elevated highways built anywhere in the country. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we got better at building these things over time. And the central artery had a lot of problems. The lanes were too narrow. The turns were really tight. And it had so many on and off ramps that the traffic was just constantly merging. Like people were trying to get on. People were trying to get off. It had a terrible accident rate. It was way overburdened. There were no breakdown lanes. Like, it had all these problems. And so for decades, people have been trying to figure out what do we do about this central artery. So that's one kind of pressure that's building on the city. And then the other pressure is it's really hard to get to Logan Airport. You know, at that time, Logan was was one of the busier airports in the country. Everyone was trying to squeeze through, you know, the couple tunnels that were there. Uh, and so a lot of people, businesses, commuters, suburbanites, wanted another tunnel to the airport. And that's what the big dig ultimately became is both those projects together. It's a new tunnel to the airport and a new tunnel under downtown that replaces the central artery. In your podcast, you finally were able to explain to me why Massachusetts drivers have a <laughs> reputation for being aggressive. Yep. Yep. But you say it's not our fault. Blame the central artery. How so? Look, I, I have no data on this. Uh, I, I, I cannot point to definitive causality or anything. But um, this did come out of an interview with uh, um, this is actually the, the person who told me this worked very closely in funding the central artery project. And uh, his theory was that you know, the reason why Boston drivers are so aggressive is that you had to be aggressive in order to get on or off the central artery because it was such a chaotic, you know, messed up, poorly designed highway that, you know, you had to be, uh, it's a podcast, so I guess we can swear, but, you know, you had to be an asshole in order to navigate that road. When the big dig was first proposed, how did it fit in with trends in urban planning was it common for cities to tear down big highways that were separating neighborhoods? No, not at all. It was a radical idea at the time. Um, now we can, you know, I think a lot of cities are talking and thinking about tearing down highways. But you have to remember the big dig or the idea of tearing down the central artery was first proposed back in 1972. So this is still like 
in the building boom of the interstate era, a lot of cities are still building their downtown highways, let alone thinking about tearing them down. So it really was um, pretty radical, transformative thinking at the time. And it took, you know, an incredible amount of perseverance and ingenuity and just raw political power to get that idea approved and funded. That sounds like a good idea to tear down these highways. So why did the Big Dig have such a bad reputation? Yeah, in many ways, that is the question I was trying to unravel with this podcast, because it it always felt like this real disconnect, you know, that's it's such a, you know, the idea of it felt so visionary and idealistic. And yet, you know, the project, as I remember it growing up, was just, you know, disruption and controversy, and it's so expensive and it's taking forever. Vilified, really. Really, yeah. For sure. Um, and then, of course, on the other end, on the present day end, you know, you know, it's hard to imagine the city without it. You know, um, people love the Greenway and the Zakem Bridge and the tunnel, to the airport. So it's like, how, how, could the, how could these all be one project? You know, this visionary idea, this vilified project and this transformative outcome. You know, the, the Big Dig reaches its sort of... Um, high point in a way, the story of it, it reaches its narrative high point in about 1987. That's when it gets federal funding. It's like this success story, underdog. They bring together this magical coalition of different groups who want to support it. Um, Basically, everyone's behind the project. And then what happens is over the next few years and really decades, the project then has to navigate this torturous process of getting permitted, getting designed, and getting constructed. And that process um, is incredibly painful and bruising for the project. Part of what we're trying to kind of lay out in the podcast, too, is how, you know, we look at the numbers around the Big Dig, and they look terrible, right? You say, oh, this project started at $2 billion or something, and by the time it's done, it's $15 billion, right? And there was huge delays too, right? Huge delays, yeah. And you you look at those, if you just look at it by the numbers, it's like, wow, this was a disaster. I mean, how could, you? Know, what a ripoff. And I think what that narrative misses is how do we get from $2 billion to $14 billion? How do we get from, you know, maybe eight years of construction to 16 years of construction? And it's not as simple as just saying, oh, well, they overpriced it or like, oh, you know, there was corruption or it was just slow. Because part of the story is that the project kept getting bigger, you know, like new ideas were added on, new features were added on. Um, and so I think it's, it's important to understand that this is how the process of public works works in this country. I was talking with a peer of mine who grew up near Boston about the show, and she said to me something that stuck with me. is like, I have never talked about the Big Dig except as a joke, you know? And I think that's that was reality for a lot of people, or at least people my age who were growing up around it, is that it was just a punchline. Um, and I think it, it's so, so much more than that. You've gone over how it went over budget. It was delayed. I mean, what could have been, what, what could they have done better? I came away from the story 
with, you know, a few big takeaways um, for myself. One is what could they have done differently in the actual, you know, execution of the project? And the other is how could they have told the story differently? Um, because I do believe that there, that part of the struggle of the Big Dig was essentially like a PR struggle or a communication struggle. I think it was hard to convey at the time how big it was and why we were doing it. So I think that's part of the answer to your question is like, how do we, you know, find a way to conceive and communicate transformative projects in a way that people can understand and feel part of? And then on the execution side, there's absolutely no doubt things that could have been done better about this project. More of my conversation with Ian Koss after this short break. At Eastern Bank, we believe in good business. That's why we provide clients with a suite of products and services made to take their businesses to the next level. From express business loans to seamless cash management solutions, we make it easy to grow when the time is right. As a trusted full-service bank and the number one SBA lender in Massachusetts for 15 years running, we understand what you need to keep your business thriving. See the good we can do for you by visiting easternbank.com slash business. Member FDIC. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Listening to your podcast, I wonder if the big dig could have been built today, and and yeah. I'm not so sure. What's your take? A lot of people told me exactly that that this could never get done today, um, and I think there's a lot of reasons to think that. I mean, politically, you know, this project just you know squeaked by, you know, by the skin of its teeth in the 1980s um, and looking at the partisan politics of today and, you know, how difficult it is to fund infrastructure projects today, it's, you know, that piece of it seems a little doubtful. Again, when it came to environmental permitting um, and, you know, facing opposition from some environmental groups and local citizens, again, the project, you know, just squeaked by, just barely survived. Um, and now I, I could easily see this project getting bogged down with lawsuits and never making it off, you know, the drafting table. So there's so many moments in it in the story where the project could have died and somehow it just survived again and again and again. And um, yeah, it's it's very easy to see how today those forces that were, you know, stopping or slowing or blocking the project then would be even more hard to overcome now. Fred Salvucci was the longest serving transportation secretary in Massachusetts. He's yep. known as the architect of the big dig. And um, but he tells this great he's full of uh, parables. Uh, and so 
tell us the parable of of the church, and it relates to how we can kind of almost um, build our an infrastructure gene, really. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. Yeah. So what you have to understand about Fred Savucci is that his father was a bricklayer in Brighton, and he grew up thinking he was going to be a bricklayer and a mason himself. And so one day uh, he went to a some kind of meeting or luncheon of labor leaders, uh, and they told him this story about a bricklayer of sorts. And the story is about St. Francis. Um, St. Francis was an Italian mystic. And um, in the story, God comes to Francis in a dream and tells him, I want you to build a church. And so Francis says, you know, he wakes up, you know, He's got the message from the guy upstairs. He goes to work laying the foundation. You know, he toils all day in the hot sun all by himself. He builds, he builds, he builds this church. It's finally complete, and he lays down to rest. And a lightning storm comes, and the lightning strikes the church and is destroyed. And once again, God appears to Francis in a dream And Francis is confused. He's like, I don't understand. I did exactly what you asked. I went out. I worked all day. I laid the foundation. I laid the bricks. I built your church. And then you come along and you destroy it? Like, what gives? And God's response, again, this is in sort of Fred Savucci's telling of the story, is, you know, God says to Francis, you know, the church that you need to build is not a church of stones. It's a church in the hearts and minds of the people, um, because that is the only church that matters and that will last. So how do we build that sense of church and infrastructure? I mean, you just spent nine episodes talking about the big (laughs) dig. I want to walk away knowing that Boston and the rest of America, all the other major cities, we can do big things, whether it's fixing our public transit or Mm -hmm. climate change. You know, we'll need to do big things on climate change. Right. Of course. Part of, you know, what we need to work towards is is a mindset in which we have faith in the ability of our state and our government to execute big projects, in which we have patience and trust and belief. Um, and again, that trust and patience and faith has to be earned and built. You know, it's not simply given. Um, but but I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I think that that was Fred's point. And in many ways, that feels like a lesson of the big dig because you know, that project just became so shrouded in cynicism um, that it became almost impossible for it to function effectively. And even the victories, even the moments when it did triumph, still became shrouded in controversy. What you have to see there is that there's a, a vicious cycle, you know, that, that a project or a government can fall into. And I think the Big Dig is a great example of that. But there's also a virtuous cycle um, where a a successful project, you know, breeds more faith and optimism and trust. uh, And that makes it easier to do the next one and the next one after that. The way Fred sees it and really the way I see it is that we need to get ourselves on that that virtuous cycle of, of building the Church of Hearts and Minds, you know, along with the Church of Stones. And and so how do we get past that cynicism? Yeah. I mean, part of me thinks that 
like you have to start small, you know, that maybe the, the answer is not, you know, to immediately take a big swing like the big dig, um, but to really, you know, build up the capacity and the faith in tandem. Because, you know, something that many people told me is that public works, infrastructure investment, you know, these things are like muscles, you know, you use it, you build it, you don't use it, it atrophies. And, you know, if we look at the longer arc of public works in this country, you know, it it kind of waxes and wanes, right? We have eras of big investment, big building when we built the interstates and the airports. Um, And then there are eras of, you know, kind of withdrawing from that and, and not investing so much. And I think we're coming off of one of those long periods where, we've allowed a lot of our infrastructure to languish and a lot of ideas to go unfulfilled. And if we want to build ourselves back towards a society that can undertake and achieve ambitious things, it's going to have to be exactly that. We're going to have to build back towards it. And and right now, the stakes are so high when it comes to infrastructure and city planning, right? I mean, there's so much we need to do. The big kind of like sword looming over our heads in all of this is climate change, right? Um, That is going to require us, you know, to build at a scale and at a pace that um, I'm not sure, certainly we've never seen in my lifetime. Um, Because climate change is not something that we can just solve by, you know, using a little less electricity or, you know, just riding bikes instead of cars. It's really going to require rethinking our built environment, the way we, you know, our housing, our transportation, our energy. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't see a way forward that doesn't require a massive investment in our built environment. So to me, that is the ultimate stakes. Well, Ian, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I hope everyone listens to your podcast. My pleasure. It was great talking with you. Say More is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Anna Kussmer with help from Scott Hellman. Our editor is Jim Dow. Our engineer is Uzair Ahmed. Our music is from APM Music. If you like the show, please follow us and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us at saymore@globe.com. I'm Shirley Leung. Thanks for listening. Sometimes things in the world of technology are complicated and need careful explaining. Sometimes they just need a little hard truth. I don't think anyone is going to buy a banana with crypto at any point in the foreseeable future. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, the host of Slate's What Next TBD, your clear-eyed guide to technology, power, and the future. Friday and Sunday, wherever you get your podcasts. Are you looking for ideas to make your life happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Listen to Happier with Gretchen Rubin, a weekly podcast hosted by two sisters. I'm Gretchen Rubin, the number one bestselling author of The Happiness Project. And I'm Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Each week we share fresh insights and practical solutions, such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for the year, or design your summer. 
Listen and follow the podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin.